I mean, who knew me and Marco Rubio would be on the same side? This is a good bipartisan issue. It's like Sheldon Whitehouse, but Marco Rubio's leading the charge. It's called the Sunshine Protection Act. It makes daylight saving time permanent in all of the U.S. And more importantly, it locks the clock. Hashtag. That's the hashtag for the legislation. Lock the clock. I think this is where we should start, y'all. We can work it out after this, but let's just stop changing the clock. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Hello, everyone. We are so happy that you're joining us for a new episode of Pantsu Politics. Today, we're going to talk about election results across the country from Tuesday's elections. Then we are going to talk about perhaps the most important issue facing our country this weekend, and that is falling back to standard time from daylight saving time. Outside of politics, we will confront another top of mind controversy, which is when and how do we start shifting into holiday mode? And speaking of the holidays, we would love to see your faces soon for our first annual holiday huddle. You know, we were supposed to get together in Texas in person. COVID squashed our plans. So this is our chance to see each other over Zoom, see your faces. Listen, we'll get to interact and see your faces even more probably through this venue, this online venue. We're going to talk about the stress of getting together over the holidays. We're going to talk about how to handle the latest conservative outrage, how to respond, how to exit gracefully. How to just handle the holidays. That's what we're going we're gonna to tackle. We're really excited. It's going to be November 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And if that time isn't convenient for you, your ticket allows you to watch the show for up to seven days after the event is over. So get your tickets, get your questions ready, bring us your tired, your dramatic, your family controversies, and we'll have a great time. The link to get registered is in the show notes. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? Or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. 
their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast 15. Lots of interesting results from Tuesday's elections, but all eyes have really been on Virginia and New Jersey. As you, I'm sure, know by now, in Virginia, the Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin won by just over 79,000 votes, so two and a half percent margin. I would like to say before we talk more about these two races that Virginia had a very historic lieutenant governor's race. Hala Ayala, who we have met and think very highly of, Democrat, ran against Republican Winsome Sears, both women, which meant that either way we were going to have Virginia's first woman lieutenant governor. Republican Winsome Sears won that race. She is, in addition to being the first woman lieutenant governor of Virginia, the first woman of color to win statewide office in Virginia. She is a former Marine and a Jamaican immigrant. She was very active with the Trump campaign. That's how her electoral profile was really built for this race. Another interesting note about this race is that Halayala, the Democrat, outperformed Terry McAuliffe by about 13,000 votes. So it's just interesting to see those numbers vary a little bit. Uh, top of the ticket versus the uh, lieutenant governor's race. Yeah, interesting, but not surprising. Interesting, but not surprising that she was a more exciting candidate than she outperformed McAuliffe. And look, that was true all over the country. There were all kinds of firsts. Boston got its first female elected mayor, first person of color elected mayor. No matter who won, they were going to make history. Cincinnati, near where you live, got its first Asian-American mayor. Dearborn, Michigan, got its first Arab-American mayor and first Muslim mayor. Like, there were so many candidates across the country, actually Democratic candidates. Now, they were in cities that lean Democratic, but really breaking barriers and getting people excited. And I'm just going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to it. The other race that has gotten a ton of attention is that in New Jersey, the Democratic governor, Murphy, had a much tighter race than you would typically expect based on New Jersey's voting records and demographics. So uh, Governor Murphy looks to be the winner of that race. 1.4 percent is the margin. He won by 35,718 votes. The Republican candidate, as we're recording, has not yet conceded. I imagine this will be recounted, but outlets are calling it that Murphy has has survived this election. Well, you know, I worked for Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey, so I, I like to think I'm semi-equated with the political landscape of New Jersey. And it actually doesn't surprise me. I mean, listen, Chris Christie came from New Jersey. They're not consistently Democratic in the way other states from that area of the country are. Listen, in my experience, the people of New Jersey are, they're independent, borderline belligerent. I love you. I love you all people from New Jersey. So I think that there was some real backlash against the strong COVID mandates coming from Governor Murphy. I think you saw that 
in the stronger than expected turnout from the Republican candidate. So, I, I mean, it's surprising in that it wasn't prognosticated to go this way, but I don't think surprising overall in the in the history of New Jersey. I don't think that we should use presidential elections as the nope. measuring stick for how we evaluate these races. I mean, you have throughout New England some Republican governors, states that almost always go blue come presidential time, make very different choices in their statewide offices. And often those governors end up being quite popular. And so I think the yardsticks that are being applied here are kind of silly <laughs> because the stories that are being written are all, what does this mean about Joe Biden? That's the interesting narrative for national outlets to write about. And I just think it's not an entirely helpful or accurate framework. Now, I do think our own Democratic governor, Andy Bashir takes some lessons from this New Jersey race and does not underestimate the frustration and the anger coming off the COVID mandates. We have much less strict mandates than New Jersey, but I think there's still going to be a lot of anger and frustration aimed his way due to COVID. I think probably all governors are looking at this racism, taking that in. What's interesting about Virginia, and that's not what you're doing, right? You're not looking at somebody who was putting forth COVID mandates. Kerry McAuliffe wasn't the incumbent. He had served previously, which I think was the problem. I think you're going to have a tough time in America I don't really care what state you're in when you have an institutional candidate coming up against an outsider. It's just it's a tough one. Look, Barack Obama was a newcomer. Donald Trump was a newcomer and Glenn Youngkin was a newcomer. He had not run for office before. He doesn't have a lot of experience versus Terry McAuliffe, who'd been governor already and who served in all kinds of capacities. You know, it's tied closely to the Clintons, all these, you know, things that I don't for me personally, individually, you know, I can see the complexity and they're not all negative marks for me, but that's not how they're perceived in, you know, the wider voting establishment. And I think there were other candidates in that Democratic primary, one of which we had on this show, who would have had a much easier time battling Glenn Youngkin over this, you know, culture war, particularly surrounding the school systems. I mean... Jennifer Carroll Foy has young children, <laughs> you know, like she's a mother with these issues in front of her every day. And I think it would have been a lot harder to paint her as out of touch on these parenting slash education slash school board issues. Yeah, I think Terry McAuliffe brought a lot of baggage to this race that was probably unhelpful. I think this race is super complicated. I don't live in Virginia. I want to approach it with a lot of humility. I said on our Nightly Nuance about this topic that I think Glenn Youngkin ran to win, that he ran a very disciplined, focused, well-funded campaign, and how you campaign makes a big difference in what's going on. I think on the school piece, that is something that we're going to have to figure out how to have a better conversation about across the United States. My big request right now is anyone in your life who is going on about schools and critical race theory just invite them to come get involved in something with you in the school system. There are so many things to be concerned about in the school system right now, and I promise that schools being too woke is not the issue, especially in your local community. If you just walk into the school system, like, like say, I love your passion for the school system. Let's go get involved in some meaningful way and get some information about what the issues are here. That said, I think it is 100% correct when commentators say, 
Democrats cannot just be dismissive of these concerns. The conversation has to go somewhere else. Where I get a little bit lost in thinking about everything being discussed and written about these races is I feel like people are trying to nail down either that more progressive candidates would perform better than the McAuliffe's of the world because they would excite the Democratic base, because they would close the enthusiasm gap with Republicans, because they would incentivize more people to come out and vote, or that the lesson is actually we need really moderate candidates because Abigail Spanberger is quoted in the New York Times today as saying people didn't elect Joe Biden to be FDR. They elected Joe Biden to stabilize things, return things to normal, and to not be Donald Trump. And I think everyone, I would personally love to know the answer to that question, (laughs) to say there is one answer to that question for the whole country, and this is what it is. And I think the problem is there isn't one answer to that question, not even one answer to that question in Virginia, best I can tell. I think there are probably places where Jennifer Carroll Foy would have dramatically outperformed Terry McAuliffe and places where she would have dramatically underperformed Terry McAuliffe. We're just, we're not all experiencing the pressures of school fighting, inflation, labor shortage, great resignation, all of the factors that influence us extremely personally right now. We're just not experiencing them in the same way. And so I don't think there is a neat conclusion to be drawn here. But the pull to draw that neat conclusion is so strong. Well, I voted for Joe Biden to be the next FDR, <laughs> for sure. But I don't know who exactly she's talking about. I mean, I know which voter she's talking about. And that's the thing. The I think you're exactly right. Who are we talking? It depends, right? Who are we talking about and where are we talking about? But here's what I do think the universal is. Why the school board issues are so hot is because public school is a place in which people felt an enormous amount of powerlessness last year. I felt an enormous amount of powerlessness. Now, whether they channel the anxiety surrounding that powerlessness into fights about masks either pro or against, into vaccines, either pro or against, into critical race theory, either pro or against, doesn't matter. The undercurrent, to me, is pretty obvious. People felt powerless. And so, look, it is a bigger lift every time to feel that powerlessness and meet it and harness it with hope and change than it is with fear and hate. That's a harder, bigger lift. You got to have the right candidate. You have to have a really, really tight campaign. You got to have a lot of money and you got to have a lot of volunteers. And so I think that that even if you even if you, you know, you figured it out and there is one answer everywhere, every candidate is not going to be able to harness that in the right way. And I think that's what's so hard. And like you said, like sometimes the harnessing is going to come from progressive politics. Sometimes the harnessing is going to come from moderate politics. And I think trying to extrapolate one answer for everything is how you got Terry McAuliffe, because it's easy to look at Joe Biden and think, well, that's that it worked. We need to nominate old guard, previous experience, moderate men (laughs) to soothe the electorate and tell them we'll go back to normal. I mean, on paper, Terry McAuliffe makes sense. If you're thinking about things that way, if you're taking lessons from the 2020 election, but As this election showed, just because it works on paper, just because it sounds good in an op-ed or in a 
coming out of a pundit's mouth doesn't mean it's always true. I've been part of a process at my church recently where we've been discussing what we want to do with our worship services since everything has been so shaken by COVID. It's been a really interesting and and great process. I've learned a lot. It has really deepened my appreciation for my church and the way they lead through tough conversations and tough issues. And the conversation about what to do with these services has been, in so many ways, such a microcosm of all of the forces that influence elections. Uh, Generational differences, kind of people who have conflict between what they think the majority wants and what their personal opinions are, comfort versus the desire to do something a little bolder. I mean, just like all of the factors that influence every conversation you have about politics have been present in these discussions. And I was saying last night to one of my pastors, you know, watching this process has been so instructive for me as a person who thinks about politics and elections all the time, because here we have a group of people who all know each other, like each other, love each other, are committed to being in one space together that none of us have to be in, are approaching this in good faith. We're all doing the same homework to prepare for these meetings. No one has any ill motive whatsoever. And it is still emotionally brutal to try to make a decision. Absolutely brutal. And so no wonder we're in this situation where we're talking about public school. And no wonder we're in these kinds of situations when we're talking about our economy and recovering from COVID and vaccines and all the things. And that is why I think just to pick up on our last conversation about elections, all of the punditry right now is falling so flat for me because it isn't speaking to how even when everybody is trying our very best uh, in these community arenas, it is just dire right now. And I don't want to talk about marketing messages as much as I want to talk about that relational component of trying to get people on the same page to dig us out of the situation we've been in for the past 18 months. And I will say that I didn't elect Joe Biden to be the next FDR. I elected him to do that thing because I think that's what Joe Biden is uniquely good at. Joe Biden was not my pick of the Democratic field. But when I voted for him in the general election, which was not a hard decision for me at all, I was thinking, like, I'm grateful to have someone who's so good at grief, who's so good at expressing his grief, who's so good at saying to people, I know this is tough, and I also believe we're going to get through it. I support a lot of his agenda. I also do kind of want to hear him speak to the American public about what he thinks the priorities need to be right now, what has gone the way he expected it to, what hasn't. And I know that that's not what political advisors would counsel him to do, but it is a a felt need that I have. Does that mean that I think to myself, oh, I'm probably going to really go to the hard right when it comes time to vote for my House members? No, but I get why people are feeling some tension and discomfort because I just think we're in a season of tension and discomfort. Yeah, I think we're going to stay there, not just because of COVID, but because of the path our politics have been on. We're at tight margins of control. It's going to go back and forth. Donald Trump had the same experience in his first year in office. And, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in Biden's approval rating. And no one had him as low except for Donald Trump. And I just think, well, the next person will because this is the road we're on now where, you know, when things are intense and precarious, it's impossible because of the structure of our Congress and the, the tight margins of control 
and the tiny number of actual seats in play in the House of Representatives and the structure of the United States Senate to get a lot of things done. And then you don't get things done. So people don't think you're doing it. But it's a very intense time. So people kind of wanted things to get done, but not too much because then the change makes them uncomfortable. And like, it's just it's a shitstorm. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's just where we are in American politics right now. We're not going back to some like incredible level of stability and not just because there's something wrong with us, because globally, we're in a real period of transition and a real period of precarity. And that is going to play out in our politics. That is the reality. I wish it was different, but it's not. doesn't matter who the candidate is. I think that that is just the reality. We're intensely tied, usually through lenses of identity, to our partisan politics. And we are fiercely divided across the country. And that means that we're going to have back and forth elections, really, you know, thin margins of victory, some surprises, culture wars. Like, I just, I don't think that's going to turn on a dime anytime soon. And I don't think it's, I think it's better and healthier to just recognize that and accept it and do what you can to change it on your local level. Look, all those mayoral elections give me an enormous amount of hope. Cities are laboratories in real, real ways. And mayors often run for higher offices, and they build real skills, both in campaigning and governing. They make good candidates. I mean, that's how we got people to judge. You know, I just think like there those people who see politics in new ways, who, you know, made their names during this time of precarity and conflict, they're going to be a totally different kind of politician. And there's a lot of them out there. When I look at Michelle Wu, when I look at Aftab Paraval, like when I see all those people, they, I feel incredible hope. They're not just going to stay in those cities. And the policies they formulate in those cities aren't going to just stay in those cities. And you don't have to live in a city to benefit from that. So I think that as often is the case with politics, it's all there. I agree with you that it's all there and it's all going to be there. And I just, in the midst of all that, crave more processes like the one at my church. As hard as it's been, I want more places where we practice those skills and we work through these things together. I want more processes like my school district's ambassadors program where parents get to go in and learn things about the schools. I just think there is a moment right now for us to dig all the way in to really figuring out what we want society to look like. And I would like to do that work as opposed to spending all of this energy on like, what do people want as though we aren't people? You know, what do people think? What works? What can we market in the next election? Let's just be the people and do the things and see where it takes us the next time we go out to vote. Well, this Sunday at November 7th at two o'clock local time, we are supposed to fall back from daylight saving time to standard time. We're going to talk about why we change time twice a year. Who, who does this? Should we keep doing it? That's up next. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Sarah, you have spent the better part of the last 18 months telling us that time is a flat circle. And that seems like a fitting introduction and maybe a way to just tell people right out of the gate. When we think about daylight saving time, you are against changing the clocks. Is that an accurate summary of your position? Yeah, it's stupid. It's terrible. Why do we do it? We ha- we carry supercomputers in our pockets that adjust the time as we move around. Why are we like scrolling our watches back? What's happening? Why are we doing this? Why do we start doing this? It seems incredibly dumb to me. I think that the conversation we were just having about elections is very related to our concept of time because we have talked all of my, you know, I have always thought of time as this really fixed entity, but we've changed this up a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Going back to ancient civilizations, we've made adjustments to timekeeping with seasons. We've always kind of been revolving around the sun, which right. makes a lot of sense since right. we actually but, resolve around the sun. Right. The sun is in control. We did not really start attempting to standardize time until railways told us that we needed to do that because city by city, we needed to tell people a time to get on and off the train that didn't depend on where the sun was in that city at that particular moment. We didn't have our current time zones in the United States until 1918. There are all of these like newspaper articles about daylight saving time that say that Ben Franklin is responsible for it. Ben Franklin has nothing to do with it. He made a joke about Paris and candles. He was not talking about clocks at all. This really came (laughs) from a New Zealand entomologist, George Hudson, who wanted a two-hour shift so that he would have more time to hunt bugs in the summer. And Canada in 1908 was the first place in modern times to really try out a version of daylight saving time to save energy. The World Wars are what made it more standard for us because during the wars, President Roosevelt actually called it wartime. The idea was let's have more daylight so that we save fuel so that we can spend that fuel on war fighting instead of on lighting our homes in the places that we're in. So we've messed with the time a lot in the United States. We've changed the dates for daylight saving time. We added a month uh, as recently as 2005. And I think we just learn over and over again that this is dumb and needs to be rethought. Well, I just want to clarify the language a little bit, because this is where I was confused when I spoke with my friend Leslie, who's very, very passionate about this topic. She helped us with this research. She came on the Nightly Nuance. Everybody should check it out. So it's not daylight saving time that is the problem. It's not a problem to set the time so that we have more hours of daylight, to set the clock so they have more hours of daylight. The problem is the switching back and forth between daylight saving time and standard time. We, you know, at Leslie's point is like wherever you live, what works best for you based on sort of your your latitude around the globe, go with it. Be happy. Be best. But like, don't stop changing it. It's the changing that's so dangerous. Oh, my God. We had a patron talk who works in the healthcare industry and the talk about the people who work night shifts and what they have to do when we set our clocks back, which is, oh, by the way, work an additional hour and then all the medical records and what they have to do. It's just what are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we making ourselves miserable? It's crazy. There's like increased heart attack, increased stroke. People have car wrecks like people get killed because we change our clocks twice a year. We have got to stop this. So I have some agreement and some disagreement with you. Almost everyone in the healthcare profession who's written about this has said daylight saving time is bad, that it messes with our, not, it's not just the switch. It is that actual daylight saving time causes a fluctuation in our circadian rhythms that is mm-hmm. not good for our sleep. I think it is totally fair to say, depending on where you are in the world, your connection to the sun is different and how you look at that connection to the sun is different. And I think just a second, because we know we have people listening outside the United States, it would be good to acknowledge this is not just an American problem and not everywhere in America has this problem. Most states utilize daylight saving time, but Hawaii, Arizona, American Samoa, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands do not. But not Indiana, but not Indiana. They had a reputation for that for a long time, but they switched. Most of Europe uses daylight saving time. The public overwhelmingly was surveyed and wants to stop doing that. And it was supposed to stop this year. But the Council of the European Union wants a detailed impact assessment before proceeding with that. So they're still waiting. Most of Canada and Mexico does this, parts of Asia. And then there is a different 
time-saving measure that happens in Australia, parts of Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, and South America around the Southern Hemisphere summer. There's this graphic of how Australia does this that is bananas because it's carved up throughout Australia in terms of who does what. It looks very confusing to someone who does not live there. And then a lot of the rest of the world used to change the clocks, but stopped doing it. Some have permanent daylight saving time and some have permanent standard time, but they have at least made the decision. And that seems to be what unites everyone, that most, that like the vast majority of people are just against changing the clock. Don't really care whether it's yeah. permanent daylight saving or permanent standard. Just let's stop messing with it. I mean, listen, I'm basically a vampire. I am very pale. I'm fine with standard time. I like the dark. I really do think that our bodies should flow with the sun. That makes the most sense to me. I think electricity probably caused all kinds of problems we don't even think about. Um, I believe all that. And also, I know people, like, we'd have to go up against the recreation lobby and all these people who make more money when there's more daytime hours. So, like, let's start small. Let's just stop. Let's hashtag. There's a campaign, y'all. We're going to tell you about it. Hashtag lock the clock. Let's just pick. I don't even care what you pick. But let's just pick and stop the shifting, which is not only dumb, but dangerous. And I think that is a good entry point into saying the data tells us that whatever daylight saving time and the shifts in time was supposed to do positively for us, it doesn't do that. There is this whole kind of there is a narrative out there that daylight saving time benefits farmers. It's actually the opposite. Farmers very much do not like daylight saving time as a whole. Daylight saving time is a money maker. There's a, mm. a professor named Michael Downing. He is deceased now, but he wrote a book called Spring Forward, The Annual Madness of Daylight Saving Time. And he explained in it that the Chamber of Commerce is one of the biggest backers of daylight saving mm-hmm. time because if you give workers an extra hour of daylight after they leave their jobs, they will shop. The candy industry benefits from longer trick-or-treating on Halloween. The golf industry, when they lobbied for an extra month of daylight saving time, said that that extra month alone was worth about $200 million in greens fees and club purchases. So there is just an unbelievable amount of money attached to doing this. But on the other side, as you were saying, Sarah, there are increased heart attacks. There are increased car accidents. Data over time shows us that we actually use more energy because of daylight saving time, because we're starting our mornings in the dark. And all of those energy arguments seem so dated in a world where, yes. all, like, everything runs on electricity. We're we're using electricity constantly. And we all have LED light bulbs. What does that even mean anymore? Come on, guys. Let's get over this. Yeah, I'm, the moneymaker is not good enough for me. The energy savings, I don't even believe. Now, I do understand there are concerns about kids going to school in the dark. There's, like, evidence that kids get, you know, hit by cars. They're not seen in the dark. I don't want kids to go to school in the dark. So, oh, here's just—I'm just going to spitball here. just going to do a little quick brainstorming. What if we change the time kids go to school? Because sending teenagers to school that early is ludicrous. I've been lobbying my school system to change for literal years. It is against everything we know about teenager circadian rhythms, like— for schools that are supposedly concerned about testing and scores and grades and kids succeeding academically, sending them to school that early in the morning is outrageous. I think what they're really concerned about is sports, in my personal opinion. There is also an argument that the teenagers come home early and help care for younger siblings, which I understand. I mean, I don't—listen, if we're just rethinking things, here's just a crazy idea, Beth. 
What if the school day was the same time as the work day? I'm just, I'm just, just trying to like, you know, really whiteboard it. What do you think? I think that all of these timing questions demonstrate how we hold with like clenched fists around our concept of what things should be like, that we should eat lunch at noon, that school should start by eight or whatever. You know, the school day can't be the same as the work day because not everybody has the same work day. Should we have different work days for different people? Sure. Should workplaces be more flexible with people who have kids in school? That might also be a way to accomplish this, right? Where we let workers have a little bit more power over what their working hours are to align with what the school is doing. We could do all of this differently. I would love, and I know that I'm going to be out here alone on this, and that's okay. I would love for us to all get behind coordinated universal time where everybody in the world uses the same time that our computers use, this UTC, so that we're not scheduling meetings by saying, hello, everyone, would 9 Central, 10 Eastern, whatever Pacific work for you? (laughs) You know, instead, we're just saying, we're going to do this at 2 o'clock. And then locally, 2 o'clock means whatever it means. And so your workday or your school day start based on your relationship with the sun again, instead of the number on the actual clock. That is screwy, right? That messes with your brain because 8 p.m. means something to each of us. And I get that we would have to really detach from that. But I think we could rethink just to, to be aligned with your point on the school day and when, when we get kids on the bus, I think we should rethink a lot of things based on what we know about the importance of sleep, what's actually good for our health, what data shows us about emergency rooms and car accidents. And what better time to do that when everything is a mess? Now, I know I am like, everything's a mess, so let's change it all. And a whole lot of people are like, everything's a mess. Give me the comfort. And I think that's a tension that we're just circling around in every space. I mean, this universal thing, though, here's my concern. It's not that APM means something to me. It's that it has to mean something to me in order for me to organize my day. And so... If I'm using universal time, first of all, I would assume if we're following the sun, the school day start time would have to shift Mm -hmm. over the course of the year, Mm -hmm. which I think would be if we know people miss appointments and are late to school because we're changing the clock once a year. What if we're changing it every month? Like, I think that would be very hard for people. Oh, by the way, in the month of October, now school starts at. 315. It's just those time. It, they mean something because they help us know like, OK, well, that's about when lunchtime is. OK, that's about when afternoon. OK. And so if those numbers are constantly shifting, I think that would be I can't ever keep up with day, what day of the week it is, as we all know. So like keeping up with where what number we're on in relationship to the sun, what time everything is, that seems like a massive mental lift to me. I don't think it would have to be that way, though. I think it could be that way, but I don't think it would have to be that way. Because right now, we keep the school day fixed, even though the sun changes. The daylight saving time hurts us more with that school day start than it helps us. So what I'm advocating for is for a single time throughout the world, not different time zones, and for us to adjust what those numbers mean on the clock to us based on our relationship with the sun in that location. I think the time zones are confusing and do not match the way society works right now. Okay, but you have, 
you have somewhere in the world they're doing that. Yes, China does that. They have geographic time zones, but they have one standard time. So I, we need to ask the Chinese how they feel about this. I was, my mind was blown when a patron told me that China only had one time zone. It's a huge country. It's a huge country. And there's enormous efficiency, I think, to be gained when you just have the one time zone. Now, I do not want to pattern our work styles after the Chinese. Like time <laughs> means a lot of things, right? And I don't, I don't want this to mean that that this becomes a tool of like, let's just get more labor from everybody. I would just like it to be easier to schedule a meeting or to take a flight where you're crossing time zones. Now, it seems like we could do a transition where we just start saying, instead of Eastern Standard, Central Standard, you do your time zone and standard time. Right. So everybody could all everybody could orient around. That could be a good transition into what you're talking about, sounds like. We would probably need a lot of transition because I don't think many people are ready to rethink no, what it makes my brain hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes my brain hurt. There is a US political aspect of this that's worth talking about, which is that currently states have the ability to not be part of daylight saving time at all. But if they are part of daylight saving time, they've got to follow the federal decision about what months involve daylight saving time. And states cannot elect permanent daylight saving time and implement it without federal permission. And so we have some bipartisan legislation that's been proposed to fix that, as you were saying, Sarah. You want to talk about the hashtag again? I mean, who knew me and Marco Rubio would be on the same side? This is a good bipartisan issue. It's like Sheldon Whitehouse, but Marco Rubio's leading the charge. It's called the Sunshine Protection Act. It makes daylight saving time permanent in all of the U.S. And more importantly, it locks the clock. Hashtag. That's the hashtag for the legislation. Lock the clock. I think this is where we should start, y'all. We can work it out after this, but let's just stop changing the clock. Call your senator. Say, I support the Sunshine Protection Act. Get on social media. Let's rev it up again. Hashtag lock the clock. I do not want permanent daylight saving time. I am very ready to fall back. I do not like waking up and it being dark for so long in the morning, but I would like us to stop changing the time. So I have I have a little disagreement with you, but fundamentally, I am for the objective of let's not keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, I think that's the compromise. Like, this is where every, nobody gets what they want. Let's just compromise at stopping changing the clock. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start there, and then we will work our way forward from that point. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's 
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Moving into another extremely controversial issue that is related to the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When do you believe, Sarah, that it is appropriate to fire up All I Want for Christmas is You? Not surprisingly, I have a very complex approach to this. It's a tiered system. November 1st, I start decorating for one reason and one reason only. It's a lot of work and I need time to do it. For a long time, I was like, very aggressive. We don't do anything until after Thanksgiving Day. And then especially when we moved to Paducah and I had a bigger house and several rooms. And yes, I'd use more than one tree and I love it. And it brings me a lot of joy. And then I would spend like three days, four days that I had between Thanksgiving and December 1st killing myself to get everything up. And I thought, why am I doing this? I'm not going to do this anymore. This is outrageous especially when I started working more and more. It was one thing when I was like home with a toddler. But now that, you know, we're at full-time hours, I don't have time. Like, and so especially I have a, in particular, I have a 12-foot tree, which is a real beast to put up. And I'm not doing it for 25 days. I'm not doing all that work for 25 days. So I put that tree up first, starting after Halloween. It stays up through Advent. So I get lots of good time with it, makes it worth the effort. But like the day after Halloween. I took all my Halloween down. I have all my boxes in the different rooms are going to go in. I've got some of the decorations up. So starting after Halloween through the month of November, I decorate sort of like a slow when I have time. 
And then I will say uh, several years ago, I was like, well, if I'm decorating, I can listen to Christmas music. And then I was a little bit worn out on it. So I do still maintain the post-Thanksgiving rule for all I want for Christmas is you. So I have a sort of a tiered rollout, if you will. I'm experiencing a lot of household burnout right now. So I did not decorate at all for Halloween, which is very unusual for me. I just told myself I'm not doing it this year. We will put some pumpkins on the porch. Kids can paint the pumpkins if they would like to do that. But I am not decorating for Halloween. Jane and Ellen really did not appreciate this one Mm -hmm. little bit. But I told them, this is just where mommy is right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give Thanksgiving its due this year. I feel like Thanksgiving is going to bring me out of my rut because I love to cook the Thanksgiving meal. But I have promised myself I am not hosting anything until Thanksgiving. I'm giving myself a hosting break. I think I've burned myself out on hosting as well. I think Thanksgiving is going to bring me back. So I have a plan for my Thanksgiving table that I think is going to be lovely. I am really, really leaning into Thanksgiving this year as like the take Beth out of her household funk savior. And then I'm going to get into Christmas in December and I will see how much I feel like decorating for Christmas and wrapping gifts and all of the things. Because I'm just right now, all of that sounds very overwhelming to me. And I just want to enjoy the holiday more. I think I also have like a little bit of panic that we're going to be back in normal holiday mode, meaning drive to all these different functions across the state of Kentucky have your calendar, be packed with things, feel the pressure. And I I really loved the quiet of the holidays last year. I know that that wasn't true for everybody and I, I want to leave lots of space for that. But it was it was true for me that I that I really enjoyed having quieter, easier holidays. And so I think I've got a little bit of like preemptive burnout because I anticipate that. Well, I'm not going to talk about that because I think that's a topic that is perfectly suited for our holiday huddle. I've been thinking a lot about the conflict, come in conflict between the people that are ready to rev back up and the people that are ready to stay chill. So put a pin in that for the holiday huddle because I think that's where a lot of people are at. You know, I always love decorating for the holidays, but it is exhausting. Like I acknowledge that it is uh, a lot of work. And I think that's what I've recognized over the years is like, well, I was making an exhausting and trying to shove it all in in like three days. This year I'm like... Really, I'm con marine my holiday decorations, like getting rid of stuff that's sort of broken or beat up, stuff that I don't enjoy anymore. I purchased some new holiday decorations from Target that I am just so excited about. But, you know, it's again, it's so much work to put all that up and I want to enjoy it. That's why I love being an Episcopal. We get to stretch it out till the entire Advent season all the way through the Epiphany. And I just love soaking it up. It is truly my absolute favorite time of year. I am a Christmas person from my head to my toes. I get it honestly. My mother decorates every room in her house and has every year since I've left. Like there's never your mom's like, I'm not into it this year. (laughs) It is popping at Lisa's house with all the decorations. I just I love it so much. It brings me so much joy. You know, my kids always want to watch Christmas movies. And I'm like, no, if we watch them all year long, they're not special. Like we even though my stepfather will definitely let them watch Grinch in like July, which I'm opposed to. But I just I love all the movies and the music and the decorations and, you know, filling my home with holiday cheer. I am that person. I am like full on elf mode, buddy, the elf mode the entire time. I would really love to hear from our listeners who do not celebrate Christmas what your sort of rules are around when do I shift into, how long does it last, what really kicks off the holiday season for me. Uh, Because I feel like I get very stuck in 
the Christian holidays. And so I'm super interested in if you celebrate Hanukkah, I want to know like when you start thinking about that, if you celebrate Kwanzaa, if you don't celebrate any holidays or like winter solstice, just tell me all your traditions. It's so funny. I don't even think about Christmas as a Christian holiday. Is that bad? I'm like, I pull out a TV scene. I'm like, oh, right. Baby Jesus comes too. I forgot. Santa just takes up so much room. I forgot (laughs) baby Jesus is invited to the party as well. Well, thank you all so much for joining us as we consider time and what it means to all of us. We will be back here with you. Mark your calendars next Tuesday. We would love to see you at our holiday huddle. There will be a link in the show notes for you to purchase your tickets. We would love to see you there. And until then, have the best weekend available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Megan Hart and Maggie Pinton are our community engagement managers. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. David McWilliams. Jared Minson. Emily Neasley. Danny Osmond. The Cousins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. Next Tuesday, we would love to see you at our holiday huddle. Be link in the show notes. There will be there will be a link in the show notes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good outtake.